Berkeley Yeast is back again with Sunburst Chico, the yeast you love now with a sunny burst of pineapple. This strain was bioengineered to produce ethyl esters, fragrant flavor compounds that give your beer a distinctive kick of fresh pineapple. Perfect for tropical West Coast IPAs, pale ales, and tiki-style summer crushers. Mention this podcast for 15% off your next order of Sunburst Chico when you visit berkeleyyeast.com. This is the Master Brewers Podcast, brought to you by the Master Brewers Association of the Americas, a volunteer organization dedicated to continually improving the products and processes of our membership since 1887. Let's go! 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 Master Brewers brings you interviews with the industry's best and brightest in brewing science, technology, and operations. This episode was made possible by the following sponsors. Discover more ways to enhance flavor and maximize beer yields with Salvo. Now available in varieties like Sultana, Trident, Lotus, Calypso, Cascade, and many more. Discover how Salvo can help boost your brew at hopsteiner.com. Additional support provided by... Every beer has a story, and that's why, for over 95 years, Gusmer Enterprises has offered a full line of solutions, including equipment, analytical instrumentation, and processing aids, all brought to you from leading suppliers and backed by strong technical support. For the solution to your story, go to gusmerbeer.com. Everybody knows that yeast plays one of the most important roles in brewing, no matter the style and recipe you choose. Yeast simultaneously influences flavor, aroma, acidity, brightness, and mouthfeel and brewing a lager is no exception. Discover our entire SAF lager range at fermentus.com, where you'll find yeast for traditional to modern style lagers. We're going to put you into the magazine of irreproducible results. (laughs) 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 This week on the show... A compilation of five years of mid-fermentation dry hopping studies at New Belgium. Hi, my name is Stacy Williams, and I'm the principal scientist at New Belgium Brewery in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hi, my name is Justin Alexander. I'm a quality assurance chemist here in Fort Collins, Colorado. Usually, if there are any outtakes, you can find them at the end of an episode, but this time, I decided to put them here. Uh-oh, did we lose her? Stacy, where are you? She just texted me and said, OMG. <laughs> um, we're going to move on unless Stacy has anything that she wants to add. Nope, I think Justin summed it up really well. All right, cool. So, how would you know you were hey, you were listening? You were talking to your son's <laughs> yeah. boss. You, you would. Yeah, just, <laughs> just like, why are you a really woman? exciting <laughs> podcast for you to re-listen to, Stacey, since you haven't heard most of it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> I can tell this is going to be fun. <laughs> no need for extreme detail because listeners can get that from several other episodes. But give us a quick high-level overview of the various contributors to Hop Aroma. Yes. So Hop Aroma, um, as we've heard many times on different podcasts, that they consist of different classes of compounds, all which contribute to Hop Aroma, 
some more than others, depending on their flavor threshold and their either their synergistic or antagonistic properties. The hydrocarbon compounds make up the greatest percentage in the total hop oil, and these um, include myrcene, among other terpenes, humulene, carophylline. These compounds are extremely volatile and they have very low transfer rates. And the easiest way to get these into your beer is post-fermentation dry hopping after the beer is crash cooled. So that's bucket one. What's bucket two? <laughs> okay. The oxygen compounds make up about 30% of the total hop oil, depending on who you ask. These include alcohols, aldehydes, your acids, your ketones. Linol is one of them. Uh, geranial acetate is another example. These are more soluble than hydrocarbons and are easier to retain in wort and beer. And their transfer rates are over 50% on average. And these are the compounds that we target when we're mid-fermentation dry hopping because they contribute to that floral, fruity, tropical, citrus-type aromas. All right. And what's behind door number three? And the last uh, class of compounds are sulfur-containing compounds, which make up approximately, I believe, 1% to 3% of the total hop oil. These include the famous polyfunctional thiols that we all hear about. Um, They have very extremely low flavor thresholds, and they have the tropical passion fruit caddy aromas. We're going to hear about a bunch of experiments at New Belgium designed to answer questions about mid-fermentation dry hopping. But before we get into those trials, how about discussing some of the known pros and cons of mid-fermentation dry hopping? Yeah, there are a few advantages and disadvantages. Some of the advantages are you can take advantage of the oxygenated oxygenated fraction to produce new aromas. You can have more control over the concentration of hydrocarbon or hydrocarbon compounds in hazy IPAs. You can take advantage of fatty acids and isobutyrate esters. Uh, this is important for older, poorly stored hops. You can liberate bound polyfunctional thiols. Uh, hop creep, which you've had plenty of podcasts on, uh, you can use this to get more bang for your buck out of your raw materials. You can increase your RDF, and you can effectively negate any oxygen that any post-fermentation dry hop addition could potentially introduce. Okay. So those are the advantages. Some of the disadvantages are you basically it's often a dead end yeast source. You add all this hot material into your fermentation your slurry is going to be full of hops. Adding hops at fermentation temperatures can lead to the over-extraction of compounds that can contribute to unwanted flavors, including hop burn and polyphenols. Vegetative matter can strip out any of your hydrophobic bittering compounds, so that just contributes to your overall losses. And hop creep, uh, which I mentioned as an advantage, can also be a disadvantage because this can increase the unpredictability of your fermentation RDF. Okay. Absolutely. All right. The first step was at bench scale. Tell us about experiment number one. Yes. So, and I want to mention beforehand that for all these experiments that we're performing, we observe everything in our lab in markers. So there's three different markers that we use to determine the success of mid-fermentation dry hopping. And one of those is if we can observe a drop in the EA over our control that is not mid-fermentation dry hopped, aka the hop creep, the biotransformation of draineal into beta-citronellol, and then if we can observe the esterification of the fatty acids 
or the transesterification of 2-methylbutyrate isobutyrate into ethyl isobutyrate. All right. So the first set of experiments we're going to talk about is the bench scale fermentations. So here at New Belgium Brewery, we consider a bench scale at one liter or less. And we perform these bench scale fermentations on two different yeast strains. The first one was California ale yeast. And through these experiments, we observed, so we hopped at three, a couple of different Plato's in this particular experiment. And through this experiment, we did observe that the biotrans- biotransformation effic- uh, efficiency was unaffected by the timing of our addition. We noticed the drop of EA, and we did see the esterification of the fatty acids. So we considered that a success. Okay. And what was the, um, what was the rate of dry hopping for these trials? So we, we dry hop pretty low here comparatively to other breweries. Okay. We dry hopped at uh, 2.6 grams per liter. Do you know off the top of your head what that is in pounds per barrel? Uh, no. Okay. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't talk, we don't talk in pounds per barrel at New Belgium, so, which Fair is enough. hard to get used to, but yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and um, so you did observe hop creep in this situation, right? Correct. Okay. And um, at what point do you measure these biotransformation volatiles? Uh, we're measuring biotransformation volatiles throughout fermentation. Uh, each, each fermentation, we're letting fully reduce gravity, fully reduce diacetyl, uh, and we're making sure that uh, each fermentation was a healthy fermentation in, in that there's no off flavors, no acetaldehyde or anything like that. So uh, at each stage, we're, we're taking a sample during fermentation all the way through the end from day one. Okay, so when when we see um, you know a result in your charts from your presentations at the Brewing Summit, are those peaks then, or what what are, what point in time is that measurement? Now that's uh, the end of fermentation. The end. Okay, so yes. the, what we're seeing after the the beer has been crash cooled and the yeast has been taken off. All right, cool, got it. California ale is definitely a workhorse. It biotransforms. It doesn't matter where you add the hops. It does its thing. And it seems that the creep, the hop creep happens at any stage that you add the hops also. So okay. it's a workhorse. Right. Yeah. That's why everybody used that yeast for the first X years of craft brewing, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Next, you did a similar experiment, but this time with London Ale 3. Tell us about that. Uh, it was pretty much a replicate of what we performed with the California ale yeast. We pitched five different fermentations. We used uh, 0.6 million cells per mil per degree Play-Doh. We added two different varieties of T90 hops at two different densities, um, respectively. And then we did observe all our marker criteria. We observed the hop creep at both densities. We observed increases in beta citronellol when compared over the control beer. Um, at this time, though, we did not measure hop esters, so, but we assumed that they probably ca- kind of came along for the ride and did their thing. But the assay was not set up in our lab yet. So seeing that this, that London 3 Ale yeast, or London Ale 3 yeast, could also perform biotransformations, that made us jump to the next scale, basically. Was there any noticeable difference in hop creep for um, Cascade versus Centennial? 
yes, we did notice a difference between the two. And uh, knowing back then, we didn't really know much about hop creep. It, since since we first started, it's been really studied, and then we know now we know that the different hops lend to different um, degrees of hop creep. And so we definitely noticed that well. And when we continued on with our experiments, we noticed, for instance, uh, Citra hops doesn't creep as much as, as like your Cascade hops. So we definitely noticed what was in the literature was true in our experiments as well. Cool. Okay. This next one is really interesting because you compared results across vastly different scales. Talk about that. Yeah. So this one, we, we've reviewed data that we collected on benchtop pilot and full-scale production for London Ale 3 fermentations. Um, contrary to our initial research where we saw those mid-fermentation dry hop success criteria met, we didn't see the same biotransformation of geraniol into beta-citronellol with London Ale 3 in, in this set of data. But we did, in, we did see the increase of ethyl isobutyrate as well as hop creep. So this was really interesting to us because this was just inconsistent. It basically disproved our uh, or contradicted our, our first set of experiments. So now we had um, a little bit more research to go into. And what kind of variation did you see across these different scales? Did they all line up, you know, pretty evenly or was it all over the place or what? They, it, actually, it was um, really encouraging because we saw that our our bench scale work was directional for our full scale production fermentations so that was uh, a, a huge get for us cool and and we'll give us uh, i don't know think we actually said it give us the 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 range of the scales here so obviously you you already said that bench is a liter or less so what's mm -hmm. pilot and what's production uh pilot that's essentially pilot's going to be 10 hectoliters Okay. Uh, and full-scale production, um, that's anywhere from 500 to 1,400 hectoliters. Next, you wanted to probe at the lack of biotransformation of geraniol to beta-citronellol. How did you go about doing that? Yeah, so when we, didn't, we, when we didn't observe the transformation of geraniol into bio-citronellol, beta-citronellol, gosh, when we say. didn't observe the transformation of geraniol into beta-citronellol, like we did in our previous experiments, it was a real head-scratcher to us. We had no idea why we didn't see that. So we designed um, six experiments to try to figure out why. So for experiment one and two, we wanted to determine if bitterness stress on London AL3 was a factor. So for experiment one, we pitched London 3 into a very bitter wart stream probably around 30 to 40 ppm IAAs, for the which are iso-alpha acids. For is this bench two, scale or is this, is this production or what is it? This is all bench scale. Okay. We know now that bench scale is um, an indication of what's going to happen at the other scales. So we're pretty confident that we could, that this work would tell us what was happening with this yeast at a production scale. Um, so for experiment number two, we pitched uh, London AL3 into a non-bitter wort stream about 10 to 15 ppm of IAAs. And we did not observe biotransformation of geraniol. So again, we said, well, that's weird. So then we moved on to experiment three and four. So in experiment three and four, we wanted to determine maybe our house yeast had mutated in a way that it could no longer 
biotransform the steranium into beta-citronellol, like we originally observed. So in order to do this, we used our house London L3 from Propagate, and then we also purchased a slap pack from a commercial yeast supplier. And like for experiment one and two, we did not observe significant differences between the test and the control. We did not observe that transformation taking place. So then we moved on to experiment five and six, and we wanted to determine if maybe it was pitch rate. Pitch rate's a factor. So in experiment five, we pitched at 0.6 million cells per mil per degree Play-Doh. In experiment six, we pitched at 1 million cells per mil per degree Play-Doh. However, um, in those experiments, we also did something we probably shouldn't have done, but it was a happy accident. We changed the hops. <laughs> so we changed from using, I think we were using like uh, Citra, combination of Citra, Cascade hops to straight centennial hops, okay. which has a really high geranial concentration to begin with. And in both experiment five and six, we did observe a biotransformation of geranial into beta citronella. So it wasn't the pitch factor that was pitch factor rate that was the factor because we did observe it both in experiment five and experiment six. So we let we're led to conclude that maybe Lenin AL3 has a geranial load threshold okay. in order to perform these biotransformations. All right. And that brings us to the next one, which is pretty cool. So you basically did another test to figure out whether or not London L3 had this geranial concentration threshold. Explain uh, in layman's terms, you know, what you mean by that, how you tested it and what you observed. So what we did for this is, again, this is at the bench scale. Um, we we took four fermentations and uh, of the same wort. In the control, obviously, we didn't add anything extra to it. And then we added uh, just our, our lab-grade geranial standard in increasing amounts to the next three uh, at 300, 600, and 1,000 ppb. And what we saw uh, once fermentation was finished, so diacetyl reduced, uh, gravity and ABV were finished, we saw that citronellol increased um, proportionately with the increasing geraniol. So we saw biotransformation of geraniol into beta citronellol, even just using a, a lab grade standard. All right. So what does that tell us? So basically, there's a couple of takeaways, uh, different takeaways we took from this that there is a linear relationship between the concentration of geraniol and beta citronellol providing uh, further evidence that there may be a geranial concentration threshold that exists for Linden AL3 yeast. And the other takeaway we have is if you want to take advantage of this biotransformation pathway using Linden AL3 yeast, concentrate on using high geranial hop or hop products. Um, of course, I do want to stress that this was one experiment. We do want to repeat this work. We just haven't had any time to dive into this further but we did think this was really interesting cool yeah for for me what this kind of tells us is is you can add maybe not a hop load of geraniol you can add a geraniol source and you can still get this biotransformation pathway from london ale 3 so uh really interesting really cool it could be impactful you know uh, to the yeast harvestability aspect too yeah so you could even just use, you know, uh, we've talked about with, uh, you know, 
um, the folks at Berkeley yeast, they've got a, you know, a yeast that produces geranial. So you could essentially, you know, get your geranial from something, from, from something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's a, yeah, that's a fantastic point. (laughs) You don't have to stress out your yeast by adding hops. You can just use the yeast that will produce it for you. Yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, anything else you want to say about that one? Um, that we yet we have yet to uh, replicate this experiment. We have not done that work yet, but we just want to throw out that caution that we think this is what's happening, but we still need to do the work to really prove it. One value is no value. Got it. <laughs> My uh, professor at, in chemical technical analyzes was famous for saying, she always said, one value is no value. Um, yes. Okay. All right. Mine always used to say... Uh, we're going to put you into the magazine of irreproducible results. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up. There were slight differences um, with the mid-firm dry hop. However, it wasn't statistical and it has also showed that it it just wasn't as impactful as we hoped it would be to justify using mid-firm dry hop at a production scale at our brewery. I'm John Bryce, and you're listening to the Master Brewers Podcast from the Master Brewers Association of the Americas. There's really only one thing that keeps this podcast going, and that's when listeners like you take the time to thank our sponsors. The next time you talk to a rep from one of these companies, be sure to thank them for their generous support. Sponsored by CanCraft. Stressed about packaging and can supply? Don't worry. CanCraft's team of design and aluminum specialists are here to make things easy by supporting you every step of the way. From aluminum cans to lids to PackTech can carriers to design help, CanCraft can provide you with a full-service packaging experience from design to delivery. Visit bsgcraftbrewing.com slash CanCraft to get started. Get to know Proximity Malt. We malt superior, European-style, low-protein varieties grown close to home in Delaware and Colorado. Domestically grown, precisely malted to style. With our team of seasoned experts and two brand new malt houses, try what's really new in malt. Check us out at www.proximitymalt.com. Positively impact your process, product, and profitability with actionable insights from BrewIQ, the industry-leading real-time fermentation monitoring solution. Visit www.precisionfermentation.com backslash MBAA to start saving time and money today. Are you sure you're getting the best deal? Visit the Lupulin Exchange, where you can find every hop variety, every brand, and every vendor. Compare prices, reviews, shipping speeds, reliability, and more on over a million pounds shipping direct from every hop merchant and grower in the U.S. The Lupulin Exchange. One stop, all the hops. And here's what's coming up on the Master Brewers calendar. The Master Brewers Brewery Maintenance Systems course begins June 8th. District Southeast meets June 10th in Miami. 
District New England meets June 16th at Valley Malt. District Philadelphia's annual golf outing is June 23rd in Barnesville. District Michigan's Summer Social is July 8th at Fitzgerald Park and Grand Ledge. Master Brewers has teamed up with ASBC to put on a two-day raw materials symposium August 3rd and 4th in Bloomington, Minnesota. The world-famous Master Brewers Brewing and Malting Science course begins September 29th. The 2023 Master Brewers Conference will be October 6th through the 8th in Seattle, Washington. District Michigan's fall meeting will be at Founders Brewing in Grand Rapids October 19th. Check out the full calendar of events at mbaa.com for more details or to find a district meeting near you. Haven't joined Master Brewers? Now's the time. Just for listening to the Master Brewers podcast, become a member for $123 for the year. Head over to mbaa.com and use code BEER2023 when you join. Now back to the show. Okay, um, so now we go to the 10 Heck Pilot Brewery where you compare mid-fermentation dry hopping to a more traditional dry hop process. Tell us about that. So we we did the same thing. Uh, California ale yeast, we wanted to make sure that our, our, our bench scale was um, reproducible at the pilot scale. And uh, once we started this work, we, we got into volumes where we could give this finished product to our sensory panel. So we were able to get sensory results as well as analytical data. So um, again, we saw that California Ale Yeast is uh, a, a workhorse with biotransformation. It meets all of our compound or our, our marker compound criterium. So we see the, the hop creep, we observe the increase in ethyl isobutyrate, and we see geraniol biotransformed into beta citronellol. The interesting thing, between the test and the uh, control, which was just not mid-firm dry hopped, uh, it was post-firm dry hopped, we didn't see significant impacts to our sensory perception. Okay. Yeah, let's, uh, let's hear more about that. What, like, it, like, were they indistinguishable or were they, is it just a little bit of difference? Or Yeah, talk more about sensory. Yeah, um, so the, the mid-fermentation dry hop test you know, moderate tropical, like grapefruit, pineapple, citrus. We still got myrcene. We got caddy, herbal, bready. Uh, whereas the dry hop on yeast, the post-fermentation dry hop, the moderate tropical. So it, the the fruits were a little different. This was mango and papaya. We still got myrcene, um, some stone fruit, orange juice, candy, herbal, bready. So you can see there are a lot of similar um, descriptors for both. Um, so it, it's really interesting that we we didn't get that big flavor difference that you know we would kind of expect. Yeah. Vas- yeah. Statistically speaking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Statistically speaking, uh, once we can scale up to sensory using our sensory group, then they can perform all their fancy stats work. And statistically, there was no difference between the two. And the slight difference that were there wouldn't have been worth it to us. Like we still want to be able to use our yeast in the end. So, uh, and is it safe to assume this is all same dry hop rate and all that throughout all these experiments? 
Yes, we target uh, we target about the same rate in every beer that we produce, which is usually anywhere between 300 to 500 grams per hectoliter, which may be a half pound per barrel, I believe. But All right. don't Sounds quote me on that math. <laughs> too late. All right. Um, <laughs> it's recorded now, Stacey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, these beers have a pretty big spread in ABV due to hop creep. How hard does that make it to compare them? Stacey, you um, want to take this one? I, I, for me, I, I mean, we've, we've done some work uh, through some of our other beers to see if that finishing gravity or that um, residual sweetness, as some might call it, if that has a big impact. Um, you know, we're finishing around 1.4 in the control and 1.0 in the test. That's degrees Play-Doh. Um, there's not a huge difference for our sensory panel in that perception of sweetness and how that might impact other flavors and aromas. But I'm not sure if Stacey has anything she wants. Yeah. Looking back at those results, I believe that the mouthfeel was pretty similar to each other. Okay. So I don't think like I'd have to dig back into it, but it didn't matter in the final statistical analysis. There wasn't a big enough driver between the alcohol differences to make a difference. Okay. Awesome. And the results. All right. So um, next, you did the same experiment, but this time with London Nail 3, right? Correct. So yes. So we repeated this experiment in the pilot. These beers were brewed on separate days. Um, I believe London Nail 3, like, let me look back at the experiment real quick. I'm sorry. I just lost my mind. All right, I'm back. Okay, so yes, these two experiments were performed on different days. The first one was mid-firm dry hop using London Ale 3 yeast. We dry hopped about 10 degrees Play-Doh. And when we determine when we're going to pick a timing for dry hop, we usually pick it around what's easiest for production. So for production, it's easier than to start at hopping at 10 degrees Play-Doh, finishing up about 8 degrees Play-Doh. And then our other beer, we mid-firm dry hopped, um, or we post-firm dry hopped at 8 degrees Celsius. And then again, we sent those two beers to sensory, and both beers pretty much were the same. Moderate tropical, slight moderate myrcene, some cattiness came through, herbal bready. But statistically speaking, there weren't any differences between the two. And you saw a smaller difference in ABV on this one than you did on the previous one, too, it looks like. Correct. And as we saw on our uh, benchtop experiments, our later benchtop experiments, we did not observe the biotransformation of Duranio into beta-citronel on these. Let me ask you this. Yes. If if London Ale 3 isn't a strong biotransformer, why do you think it was so widely used in the early days of hazy or New England IPA? Do we even still say New England IPA anymore? I don't know. But <laughs> why, why do you think it was like this, you know, why was everybody using it if it's not a strong biotransformer? I honestly believe the reason why people are using it was strictly for the haze. Okay. And that the haze has a great emulsifying effect. So it holds on to those flavors so they don't blow off during fermentation. So you'll still get um, a fruity, really fruity beer with mercine still in it. Yeah. Where the mercy okay. won't leave like it does with California ale. California ale just pulls that mercy right out. And something else to consider too is we 
we dry hop at relatively low amounts here at New Belgium. But some of these other smaller breweries who might not be as worried about yeast harvestability or anything like that, they might be able to dry hop way more than we do. And so that geraniol concentration threshold that we're theorizing exists with London L3, they might be driving past that every single time with their dry hopping amounts. So they might be achieving biotransformation based on our success criteria. So it, it could be worth it for them. Okay. Good answer. Yeah. And then mid-fermentation dry hopping, of course, helps with oxygen ingress that you may introduce as a post-fermentation dry hop. So. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, take us to take us on to the next trial, which happens in the big brewery. Um, tell us, tell us about that one. Go ahead, Justin. Sure. Or is this me? Do you want me? To uh, take well, it? it's it's you. You can take it. Go ahead. Yeah, it's what we okay. practice. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Can't okay. You guys mute, mute these out. <laughs> well, we get nervous. That's all. <laughs> okay, so for this experiment, we did we. Uh, Scaled up to the, our production scale, which uh, was 720 hectoliters in this case. These were also brewed on separate days. One beer was mid-firm dry hopped at 10 degrees Play-Doh um, using California ale yeast. And then one was dry hopped on yeast at 6 degrees uh, centigrade, utilizing the same hops and dosing rates. And all our marker criterion was met. We observed... The biotransformation of geranium into beta citronella. We observed an increase in ethyl isobutyrate. We increased. We noticed the hop creep um, kicking in, and we did send these again to our sensory. And again, the two AFC showed no significant differences between the mid-firm and dry hop, and the dry hop beer at fresh. We did put these beers on stability, and those studies actually just finished up. Oh, Want to hear time. what the results are? Yeah, I do, actually. <laughs> no, keep us in suspense. <laughs> so for our stability studies, uh, we package in the cans, and then we store um, at four degrees Celsius, and then we pull at one month, three month, and six months is how far we go out with these. And we did not, again, notice through sensory that there was a big difference or a significant difference between the mid-firm and dry hop beer as it aged. Wow. All right. There were slight differences yeah. um, with the mid-firm dry hop. However, it wasn't statistical, and it has also showed that it, it just wasn't as impactful as we hoped it would be to justify using mid-firm dry hop at a production scale at our brewery. All right. Pretty interesting. So um, gener- generally speaking, was this a surprise to you? Yes. Yeah. It was a big surprise to us. Okay. Um, now we do the same thing, but with, with London Ale 3, and this time it's a 1,000 hectoliter brew length. That's a lot of beer, so I really hope the differences were muted again so you could blend all this beer together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so same same test parameters. We mid-firm dry hopped one at 10 degrees Play-Doh. We dry hop poked the other one uh, on yeast post uh, crash cool at eight degrees C. Um, these were both brewed on the same day. Uh, sensory analysis again showed uh, the two AFC showed no significant differences between the mid from dry hop 
and the dry hopped beer uh, when when they were analyzed at fresh. We we did see the hop creep in the mid firm dry hop beer, and we did see the increase in ethyl isobutyrate, but still uh, no beta citronellol increase. Uh, so we we were missing that that compound or that marker compound criteria success rate there. So. And so you got stability on this too? Is it the same, same results? Yep. We did send this to uh, put these on stability. We did uh, individually package these into cans. And again, no difference at the end of stability. Okay. Yeah, no significant differences. We have to talk significance here because I was yelled at by sensory for not doing that. So Fair enough. significantly, even though individual tasters may have called out some differences in the end, there was not a significant difference. Okay. All right. Um, so now that we know all that, then you wanted to look at the effects on yeast health after mid-fermentation dry hopping, which we um, already uh, can assume are not so great. Uh, talk about what you did here. Yeah. So in, uh, in an attempt to address one of the biggest issues with mid-fermentation dry hopping at New Belgium Brewery, which is our yeast harvestability, we ran a couple of mid-firm dry hop trials at the production scale, and the yeast was harvested. Both of these experiments that we performed were used were performed using California ale yeast. So, in experiment one, we performed a mid-fermentation dry hop using 125 grams per hectoliter of Lupamax hops. We chose those hops because of the less uh, vegetative load. Okay. Analytically, all mid-fermentation dry hop criteria were met, and the cell count after harvest was about, um, I have the stats here, it's 693 million cells per mil at 81.4% viability and 74.8% vitality. So this was considered a successful test because the yeast could be repitched in a different beer. For experiment two, the mid-fermentation dry hop was performed on a high alcohol fermentation um, it was performed on our Imperial brand using 200 grams per hectoliter of T90 hops. And we tried to attempt uh, uh, to limit the stress factors on the yeast by using Salvo products in the Whirlpool. These are beta acid products, not alpha acid products. And analytically, all mid-fermentation dry hop criteria were met. Um, upon harvest, initial stats showed that the yeast could be Repitched, however, in storage, the stats did drop. And they dropped below our lower spec limits for our microgroup to use it. And when they looked at the harvest, they noticed it was full of hot material and discolored. All right. So. No go. So, not a success. Yeah. <laughs> Initially success, but then not a success. If we were to repeat it, we would use probably less, maybe cryo hops as in the mid-firm or something with less vegetative matter, but I don't think we're going to, I don't think our production group wants to go down this route again. And last but not least, let's hear about the Whirlpool experiment. All right, Justin, that's you. Yes. (laughs) So throughout this research, we've seen partial successes with mid-fermentation dry hopping, depending if we're using California Ale or if we're using London Ale 3. Uh, and, and that even goes back to the yeast harvestability. We did see initial success. <laughs> so 
based on all of this research and once we scaled up to pilot and full scale and being able to to serve these to our sensory panel and taking into account that we're not seeing those significant differences between the the test and the control we wanted to see if you know is whirlpool hopping going to be as successful in achieving any of those mid fermentation dry hop marker criteria that we're using as a success indicators or is there something else we can do? So basically, we, we dove into using whirlpool hopping as a way to drive our flavor. Yeah, so before um, diving into these studies, we did use whirlpool hopping at New Belgium, but not. we didn't really understand why we're using it. Like, what kind of hops should we be using in whirlpool hopping? What's the point of it, et cetera, et cetera. And so after diving into more research, we know that now there are a lot of benefits of whirlpool hopping, and we want to take advantage of those. Okay. Tell us more. So some of the benefits are you can take advantage of the biotransformation potential by yeast. You can introduce hydroaneal products in the whirlpool, either through hops or a hop product, through spices, like coriander has a hydroaneal load. Um, Yeast harvestability will be improved because you're reducing that hot material that's making its way into the actively fermenting yeast. You're also uh, reducing the unpredictable hop creep, especially in our case because we don't have ability to cool the whirlpool. But most people don't cool your whirlpool below, you know, the 70 degrees Celsius or wherever hop creep starts to impact your fermentations. And then, so you can control your ABV, EA, pH. And then, Introducing hops or hop products into the whirlpool is a great way to, it's a great starting point for creating that hop saturated flavor base that we all hear about, layering your hops. And so, so we don't usually at New Belgium do two or three or four individual dry hops. This is a great way to create that saturated flavor base by taking advantage of the whirlpool, then taking advantage of a post-fermentation dry hop to finish it off. Yeah. So to to demonstrate whether this is, uh, you know, a, a practice that we would like to implement here for for flavor impacts, we we did a, a whirlpool hopping only beer versus a whirlpool plus a dry hop beer. Um, so essentially, we just use the same base beer, uh, one getting dry hopped post fermentation. Uh, this was with California ale yeast, and we sent both exclusive, and we did get sensory analysis performed yeah actually the whirlpool only dry hop beer or the whirlpool only hopped beer is one of our products is one of our seasonals Mm -hmm. and then usually we'll take that beer and we'll dry hop it and call it something different so (laughs) it's in our seasonal packs yeah and what we were trying to do here is we wanted to see if we could um, achieve similar biotransformation reactions so that that geraniol to beta citronellol uh, ethyl isobutyrate increasing and also making an impact to the sensory perception of these beers. And both beers showed a similar fruity perception to those that we mentioned earlier that were mid fermentation dry hopped. Um, Stacey, do you know if, if there are any significant differences between the two? I think the only differences that we saw were on the dry hop side. So the Whirlpool only side showed. We called out, so our sensory group did call out moderate myrcene, even though this was California ale yeast and it does pull out the myrcene. So I think it was 
what our sensory group was picking up was the hoppiness of the beer, and maybe throwing on the mercine descriptor to that. But we also saw the tropical fruit, the cattiness, the citrus. And then when we finished it off by dry hopping, then we saw the other notes starting to build up. We saw the slight moderate coconut. Um, this was used with sabro hops, so you get that coconut, the citrus, that sugar cookie. And so you statistically, there was a difference between the two beers. And that just shows that you can make two different beers using the same whirlpool hops and then finishing off with a different dry hop. You already told us about the stability, which is uh, an update from, from your Brewing Summit presentation. Any other uh, updates since then? Or uh, if not, you know, what's, what's next for all this? I think what's next is the mid -ferm the mid fermentation dry hop. Of course, we don't want to drop it. <laughs> I mean, there are so many good things uh, and so many good beers made using mid fermentation dry hop that our brewmaster is really, really trying to push a way that we can do this successfully and, and um, harvest the hops. So, Yeast. We're looking at different products, like the different yeast, or harvest yeast, I'm sorry. So we're looking at the different products that we could use that maybe have the lower vegetative load, maybe investigating different yeast strains. Like you said, the geranial-producing yeast strain could be a good one that we could try out. So it's still in the works, but it's not something that we're really, really pursuing as a future brand right at this moment. But we are looking at different different ways to drive the hop flavor, different whirlpool hops, different mid-fermentation dry hop products, um, and et cetera. I, I think it's important to state that we know that there are other things taking place when you mid-ferm dry hop. You know, we're just looking at three things because we focus on those marker compounds. But, you know, we, we know that there are going to be freeing up down polyfunctional thiols, the esterification and hydrolysis of different compounds by the yeast. But for the work that we have here, I mean, this is a compilation of five years of work for us. So uh, it, it was easier to <laughs> dial it back just a little bit. Right. And I think another uh, success was that we proved that what we saw at a one liter scale can be replicated to a thousand hectoliter scale that we're showing the it's directional so if you want to perform if you don't have a pilot system uh, at your brewery and you want to perform these experiments you can perform it on a one liter scale and get an idea of what's going to be happening when you scale that beer up and i thought that was exciting well um last call anything else uh anybody wants to mention um, just keep, just keep brewing great beer. Cause I love drinking it. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. We're, we're excited for new, new hopping techniques, new, uh, ways to brew beer. So the more everybody is creative with it, the more we get to study it and figure out what's actually happening. Exactly. New, new ways to connect your headset to record oh podcasts. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that was so <laughs> <laughs> That's the worst. <laughs> that was Stacy Williams and Justin Alexander here on the Master Brewers podcast. I got to say, I like them. I think we're going to have to have them back pretty soon. 
And of course, as always, check the show notes for links if you want to learn more. Are you enjoying the Master Brewers podcast? Let me tell you about a simple way you can help us keep making more. Take a minute to thank our sponsors. There's no way we could produce this show without generous support from sponsors like Hopsteiner, Proximity Mall, BSG, Gussamer, and Precision Fermentation. So please, let them know you heard their message on the Master Brewers podcast and that you appreciate their support.